Were you guys profitable before you exited? Uh, yeah, we were break even. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Hey folks, my guest today is Unat Bak. He's a four times non-technical SaaS founder who has amassed an incredible amount of experience in building, investing, and growth hacking early stage SaaS ventures. Got his fingers into the model uh, angel investing, advising startups and mentoring founders through unique reverse angel method. He's on the board of many companies and most recently has built tabsscore.com, diligence as a service. And he's got some big news to share. Unat, you ready to take us to the top? Sure. All right, let's not bury the lead. What's the news? All right. So uh, pre-IPO Corporation uh, is a firm that is doing private and secondary market securities. And, uh, you know, as they were expanding and and raising their round, they found it pertinent to acquire a technology suite, which was Tab Suite. Uh, So adding our proprietary AI and ML, um, you know, intelligence as a service on these late stage companies, but also as they focus down in the mid cap and growth stage, being able to perform the diligence suite functions, uh, you know, and just and enhance the tech suite of their offering overall. Yep. Yep. I love that. Well, look, we are um we're obviously super excited for you. Tell us more about um Tab Score, so pre pre IPO, right? So what kinds of stuff were you working on? Or sorry, not pre IPO, but like pre the acquisition to yeah. the company called pre IPO, right? So who, what would someone have paid you for, you know, 4 months ago? Yeah, I mean, we had everything from uh, everyone from angel investors, single angel investors, all the way up to angel funds, all the way up to micro VCs, big VCs. We even had SBA lenders, government organizations, and their core crux was utilizing Tab Suite to essentially conduct an evaluation on an early stage or a growth stage company. Uh, and what that means really is, you know, not like the traditional scraping style tools that just provide it, you know, hey, this company has 10 followers, they're not a good company. That's what we wanted to avoid. So, so Tab Suite allowed uh, these investors to perform quantitative analysis on the qualitative aspects of the business. So being able to assign quantitative metrics to founder experience or you know where they are in the life cycle, uh, whether they're B2B or B2C and whether they've explored those paths, being able to put quantitative metrics for that, but then also able to spit out these dynamic reports uh, in lieu of investment memos um, to not replace the diligence process, but just augment the amount of information being provided to the team in a fraction of the time and cost. And so was that, if people wanted that diligence, was it one off or do you guys have a SaaS model? It's a SaaS model, um, similar to how it's, uh, it's how some of the companies like Zapier are doing like a zaps or 20,000 zaps. So same way we did tabs tokens. Uh, so different types of assessments, uh, quote unquote assessments could be created, uh, in terms of the user going on, the investor going on and creating like, Hey, we want to learn about financial fundraising, product market fit. We want a data room, but we don't care about X, Y, Z. So it created a custom token cost for uh, that assessment. They could actually turn that into a button and then put that on their website or an email drip. And then using Zapier set triggers to send that off at any point during their process. So it was a SaaS model ranged anywhere from 500 bucks a month, all the way up to sometimes 75 K a year or more. What what would you say? So five hundred bucks a month to what would that be? Four uh, six thousand dollars a month. That's a big range. What would you say like the average customer is paying? Like a grand a month, something like that. 
Yeah, I would probably say we we had a lot of like five hundred to a thousand dollar, and then what they would do is go in, and then if they utilized all their tokens, they would just purchase a la carte or just automatically bumped up to another tier. And when did you guys write the first line of code for Tap Score? So sweet. When did you launch? Uh, we launched official. So first. I, w- I was doing the schema diagramming while I was on the last legs of the previous business, as it all works with serial entrepreneurs. Um, but then the first kind of deployed launch was January 2020. When did you start the schema, though? Uh, October uh, 2019. So it took a okay. couple months. Of, it was a very crude, uh, you know, we look back on it. Actually, we have a funny like uh, progression model of how the first one we had to buy. Uh, it's actually sitting. Oh, you can't see from there, but it's sitting um, over there. Uh, it's a computer that we just had to run the Excel macro that would put provide the report and it would take an hour and we couldn't breathe near it because it would crash. Yeah, that's fascinating. Okay. So, so that you get going in 2019 and how long did it take you to get your first customer? Uh, our first customer was March of 2020. So it took uh, right after, actually during COVID, one of the investors was like, I'm not able to conduct diligence. Uh, you know, I, I know I turned down the tool earlier. Can I utilize it as a trial? And, you know, we gave them one uh, and it was super manual on the underside. And we we're like, this is not sustainable. That's where we started to build out the ML tool. Uh, but he was, uh, yeah, it was one of the first customers was $1,000 processed as a check handed over a restaurant table. That's amazing. All right. And so how many customers did you scale to before the acquisition? Um, so whenever even uh, potential users or investors ask us that question, the, the way that we turned that around was we have some that you know ran <clears throat> incubator accelerator programs for thousands of assessments. We had some that use it on a per deal basis. So uh, in terms of users or customers, that wasn't the best metric to look at it by. I would say that we had over 1 million lines of iterated code written by the ML and AI system. That's how much the platform was used. Even today, the SBA company that uses it or the SBA lender uh, from the state of Colorado, we still have passively after they've turned off all their funnels are still dripping through three or four a day. That's just that one person. Yeah. Sorry. But I mean, look, I understand the metric you're giving me, but my audience is going to hear that and roll their eyes. So let me try and help you like save a little face here. I get how you're trying to describe it, but let me ask a different question. That might be easier to answer. How many folks spent at least a dollar on the platform over the past, the prior 12 months before the acquisition? I'd say about 70. Okay, there you go. Yeah, that's a much better metric. And you always because have power users. This is a very high touch SaaS product where it requires you know multiple demos and to a point where it's enterprise uh, to a certain degree, even at the five hundred dollar level. Um, you know, so we introduced certain tiers of pricing that were always changing. I, I mean, I yep. you know percentage of AUM. I mean, we experimented with a lot of different stuff. Wait, give me some other example. Percentage of AUM. You ended up on the cookies. You ended up on the on the t- tokens, yep. basically, right? Credits. But what were the other things you test? Uh, so, you know, it's different when you get on the phone and the guy's like, all right, well, we have 500 million want to deploy it and, and automatically it's like, all right, well, 500 bucks a month doesn't really, you know, cut it for you. So we, we tried percentage of AUM, we tried um, percentage of the amount you funded into the deals, even though your fund hasn't closed yet. Uh, we tried SaaS pricing where it was just uh, one fee and then it was like blocks of, you know, uh, assessments. We tried a per assessment basis. And then we tried actually opening it up to founders. That didn't work well. So we went back to B2B and then we went ultra high, like B2B to E, I would say, or B to E to B, enterprise to business. Uh-huh. Super interesting. Okay. So you go from no- nothing to 70 customers over the past, call it two and a half, three years. If they're paying on average, you know, call it a grand a month, right? It's fair to say you guys are flirting with a million dollar run rate or about 70,000 bucks a month in revenue. 
Right. Um, yeah, we had, it wasn't recurring, but that's where we were, you know, like heading towards rapidly because we also had the growth and consulting side, which came up as an interesting piece because a lot of times when the, when the assessments were created and the assessment is pointing out, okay, the company needs firms or help here and here, we would be contacted by firms being like, Hey, you know, we have this package of like legal needs, for example. And then you've got this companies that are saying, okay, we need the following, like, let's match us together. Um, mm-hmm. So the consulting revenue became almost 30 to $50,000 per ticket um, from there. So interesting. Yeah. So, so I guess if we look at like the last full year, then like 2021, what was like, what was the breakdown? You think 40% was consulting 40% was like per assessment or SAS recurring base somehow? Yeah, um, some of our large SaaS customers, like for example, we had three or four SaaS agreements signed at uh, thirty to fifty thousand dollar mark um, yeah. each, and those were per month or year deployed, uh, per year. But those yeah. were deployed custom silos, um, and then each one of those, uh, for example, like the the SBA one, while we're on the topic, was saying, okay, now that we've deployed our silo, we want to bring on fourteen others or ten others or whatever the number was underneath at that same $30,000 a year. So the pipeline and run rate became astronomical, like just from them becoming, it was almost like a hub and spoke model. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, did you do more than a million revenue and combined revenue last year? No, we didn't. Okay. So I guess the reason I'm asking this is, yeah, sorry. The exit what? Our exit um, valuation accounted for us putting a pause essentially on going and closing that additional pipeline. So we actually sold based on the metric of, Hey, you know, there's minimal revenue here. Let's take this, give us the resources. We'll, you know, build an enhanced tech suite, but then we'll still go and attack those. So now we're turning those funnels back on. What is going on podcast crew? I want to let you guys know I'm recording this just for you. We've got the big event coming up here shortly in about two weeks. Founder 500 in Austin, Texas. We've got over 500 B2B SaaS founders getting together. Over 100 of them have more, over 150 actually have more than a million in revenue. It's maybe the largest gathering of B2B SaaS founders with real revenues anywhere in the world. It's just going to be an amazing group. I don't want you to miss out. Grab your tickets by going, uh, just searching on Google Founder 500, Founder 500 and you should find the Eventbrite link that way. I'd love to see you guys there. How many folks from the team? Um, we had about seven people. Uh, I say about because you always have, uh, you know, a couple contractors that are now closest family um, yeah. that were like basically full-time. Um, so it was about Who seven. did all your engineering, your business founder? Uh, I am a business founder. No uh, technical experience. I shouldn't say no technical experience. Um, <clears throat> all our engineering was done by the same team that worked with me on the last business and the one before that. Um, we grew that. So those contractors are, are what I would call essentially part of the team, but not legally, you know, like literally part of the team. Were they part of like an outsourced dev shop that you worked with over and over? Or are there individual folks you found on Fiverr, Upwork, TopTel, other oh, no. places? Yeah, it was it was a, a team overseas that we basically kind of have taken ownership of in terms of hiring processes and and implemented almost like to make them our own. But legally, oh, but you, but you don't you don't let other founders or other people pay to put projects through that team. Uh, we actually have started doing that just because the the size and strength of that team is so great that we, it doesn't make sense to not, you know, I'm always uh, approached by founders saying, Hey, like, can you help me with product or things like that? And interestingly enough, um, something that came of the tabs whole, like two year, two and a half year journey was that I turned into our head of product. Um, so I learned Figma inside out. I learned, you know, all the different tick, uh, tips and tricks. And then we worked it on a model where I would design and iterate. They would build overnight. I'd wake up and work on the suggestions while they worked on my, from the previous day. And it became Mm -hmm. like a really cool cycle. 
Yep. Yep. No, that makes a ton of sense. Um, and so are they sticking with the company now post post acquisition? They are part of the acquisition okay. deal was that we usurp the tech talent or the top tier talent into the new firm. Interesting. And how many outsourced developers are there? Uh, seven. Oh, so sorry. Seven, six yeah. total. Okay. Very cool. And what, which country are they? You said India? Yep. They're based in India, between India and Singapore. Very, very cool. All right. Um, let's talk about the deal. You know, there's a lot of companies building great businesses here, right? You look at PitchBook, you look at CB Insights, obviously Mattermark didn't work out for a variety of reasons. They probably raised too much, but like, how do you know you didn't, first off, were you bootstrapped? Yes or no? I think you were, right? Yeah, we were bootstrapped. It, it was a little bit of a difficult like uh, answer because it was a gray area. We were essentially funded. I was the entrepreneur in residence for a fund. And then I essentially built the product under them using 500K from them, but it was still like, bootstrapped to the point where I had to essentially, you know, that came out of the basis point. So well, how much, what did you, did you own more or less than 70% of equity in the business? I did. I own more than it. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And then they owned whatever, 10, 15, 20%. Correct. Okay. 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 I guess. So why would they let this go? Why wouldn't they try them? I mean, if it's really working well, it's proprietary. Why'd they let it, why would they let it go? So it's a good question. It's one that we've been asked, um, you know, asked a lot. And, and again, let me just clarify on the last point. Like, I, as part of that parent organization, like they owned hundred percent, my shares or my structure ownership and tabs was through that. Um, the reason that we, well, wait, what does that mean? So, so we, we hear model all the time where this sort of happens where you don't actually own 70, 80% of the business, but on an exit, you own 78 or 80% of the profits or the upside. Is that how it's structured? Yep. So because I was an entrepreneur in residence, my contract is with that fund. Um, but I, you know, building it out, my time became more and more focused on this and less on their portfolio companies. I see. Um, you know, so, uh, and, and I'm glad that you were able to clarify that. You know, that's a good cohesive method to explain it. Um, yeah, I know that makes good your, sense. To answer your question about why did we let it go, we actually didn't, uh, don't consider it being let go. Uh, in effect, we realized 10 to 12 uh, X on, you know, initial capitalization, but that is only on direct costs, not actually IP time and um, the actual time spent, you know, from the founders, which that's a an age-old battle between VCs and, and founders is, you know, how do you quantify that? But in terms of the, the equity received as part of the cash plus stock compensation, the equity received is uh, of us based on what we're building and our roadmap and everything like we talked about, like pipelines that we had frozen that we're going to reactivate, the valuation um, and the percentage we own actually and the deal terms make it worthwhile to the number that we had kind of hoped. And we're, we look at this as, uh, as the- Wait, no, Let's put that like in one. So that was a lot of like, sure. that's hard to follow. Uh, what, what, did you guys sell for a 10 to 15x multiple on trailing 12 months revenue? No. So we, what I was saying is like, because we spent like roughly 500 to, you know, north of 500K on physical like payments to either vendors, subscriptions, those actual capitalized costs, uh, the cash portion of the deal, you know, was roughly like the 10 to 12% range. I mean, sorry, oh, 10 I to see. 12X range of that. But the remainder of the deal uh, terms were taken as equity in pre IPO, in, in the surviving core. And that, percentage that we got of pre-IPO based on what we know about the roadmap and where we're headed with that um, it is it makes up for the difference in where we want it to be in terms of our vision for tabs. Well, even if it was just cash though, I mean, if, and you did less than a million bucks in revenue trailing 12 months, a million right times even 6X would be great right now, right? It's a $6 million deal. But if you had a deal that's 10X the cash, you put out <clears> 500K, that's implying a $5 million cash component of a deal, which I would consider a fantastic deal by itself. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, you're a numbers guy, especially when with the whole founder path thing and you look at those ratios, I mean, it, w- it was a great deal. How'd you convince? That's crazy, actually. I mean, considering you're not even pure SaaS, how'd you convince someone to pay a you know more than five million total deal price, but five million cash for a business doing less than a million in revenue? So one of the key uh, parts of the diligence was actually it was a part of an aqua hire, right? They really wanted us and the team as part of it. The other piece was they went and spoke to our SaaS enterprise customers. You know, it's one thing to say, oh this is our pipeline, but it's another thing to talk to them and those people to be like, yeah, we're just, tell us when to go and we're going to bring on, you know, everyone else. So in a way it was like, okay, we're going to use this, the actual value of the IP as well, based on their conversations with their large enterprise customers. I mean, the dollar amounts attached to what they were selling based on the usage of our tech was where they, we kind of came to that of, Oh, this price was public. This price was in the press, $20.8 million deal price, $20.8 million. Well, that was, yeah, the initial price, the final price got, uh, you know, that was the MOU pricing, but then we adjusted slightly to reach like terms more favorable to both parties. Um, but was the total deal price lower than 20.8 or higher than 20.8? Yeah, after it was negotiating? slightly lower than 20.8. Yeah, fair enough. But 5 million of it was cash, the rest stock equity, whatever, more upside earnouts, things like that. Right. Makes good sense. Interesting. Um, okay. Well, we'll see what happens now was pre IPO bootstrap or have they raised a bunch of money? So pre-IPO is not bootstrapped. Uh, it was for a little bit, but they've, uh, they're have they about halfway through an 8.75 million seed round, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they're closing another 25 mil uh, shortly after that. And then there's a credit facility on the line for, uh, you know, uh, not closed yet, but there's a several hundred million dollar credit facility to actually buy shares in, in the pre-IPO companies from second. Yeah. And they're, they're playing sort of in the crypto world too. So when just to be clear, when you say there was a $5 million cash component of this, this wasn't like some exchange for ETH or some crazy inflated coin on Coinbase that you can't actually get liquidity. This was 5 million USD fiat wired to you, plus the fund that you're an ERN, plus any other one that owned equity in the business. There's still a cash uh, component like earnout that is, you know, during the purchase period or immediately following, but I see it's in US dollar. It's not in some crypto coin. I see. Okay. So the total deal value was caught a little less than 20 million bucks of which 5 million was cash. However, all not all that cash was paid up front. Some portion is on Correct. whatever a two-year earnout. <clears throat> Correct. I see. Okay. Very cool. Um, heck of a story here. I, I guess um, last thing I'll talk about, were you guys profitable before you exited? Uh, yeah, we were break even. Okay, break even. Pretty good. Pretty good. Very cool. Well, hey, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Uh, number one, favorite business book. Business book, uh, Hard Things About Hard Things, Ben Horowitz. Number t- yeah, number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Uh, there is actually. There are quite a few. I couldn't name one right off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, number, that's yeah. okay. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building a business? It's got to be Figma. I, I and number four, is, um, number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? I actually get eight to nine. I, I okay. cannot function without it. And what's your situation? Married, single, kids? Uh, be married in March. Oh, but, congrats. And no kids yet? No kids yet. Uh, they're on All the right. Little, little not how- UX designers are going to pop out. <laughs> how old are you? I'm 28. 28. Last question. Something you wish you knew when you were 20. I wish I knew that there were founders willing to help out us building companies uh, as first-time founders. Guys, there you have it. He learned by building his company as an EIR and out of fund. They gave him 500 grand cash and said, spin this out and build it. It was called Tab Suite. Call, call it machine learning and AI. And uh, Sorry, uh, due diligence uh, using machine learning and AI. Grew it to you know something between 500K and a million bucks of revenue, combined SaaS and consulting fees, and then sold just recently for $20 million deal value to pre-IPO, which 5 million of that was a cash component. Now he's building this inside of 
pre-IPO and hopes to continue to scale it rapidly with his team of seven. Not thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks.